This is Fresh Ed, a weekly podcast that makes complex ideas in educational research easily understood. I'm your host, Will Brem. This is the last installment of the Fresh Ed mini-series on global learning metrics. On Thursday, the CIES Symposium kicks off in Scottsdale, Arizona. For this last show, I've invited Karen Mundy to talk about the Global Partnership for Education. The Global Partnership for Education is a multi-stakeholder partnership that provides financing primarily to lower, middle, and low-income countries. And uh, as a partnership, we focus on strengthening education systems. Education's time has come on the international stage that the Sustainable Development Goals place a much stronger emphasis on education and on a broader range of educational needs that encompasses the need for citizenship education and the need for adult literacy. But actually under SDG 4 there are many indicators that for which we do not have methodologies, that is measures, and some that have methodologies but no data. Karen offers interesting insight into global learning metrics because she is both an academic and a development practitioner. One of the nice things about having been an academic is that you enter situations with a truly questioning mind. And I'm a sociologist by training, so I also treat what I'm doing today in the Global Partnership for Education as a kind of sociological uh, ethnography. Karen Mundy is the Chief Technical Officer at the Global Partnership for Education. She came to the Global Partnership for Education in 2014 from the University of Toronto, where she was Professor and Associate Dean of Research, International and Innovation. Karen Mundy, welcome to Fresh Ed. Thanks, Will. It's a real pleasure to join you. So what are the Sustainable Development Goals and and how are they related to education? So the SDGs are a set of international development goals that were the product of several years of consultation under the United Nations. There are 17 of them. Each one focuses on a specific area of development, and one of them is designed for education. I want to just start by saying that including education in the SDGs was not a foregone conclusion, and in fact, at the early stages of consultation, there was some sense that education might not be included. But there was overwhelming uh, support for including education, both from citizen surveys, from surveys of the leaders of international organizations, and from world political leaders. So we ended up uh, being the fourth of 17 goals, uh, and um, other goals include, including health and poverty alleviation, make reference to education. So what, what um, specifically about education is included in this SDG 4? So it's a really interesting uh, set of targets, 10 in total, under SDG 4. And it is, in comparison to the Millennium Development Goals, important to note that these are a much broader set of goals. The first goal, and the goal that most people are familiar with, is to uh, focus in on achievement of universal primary and, this time, secondary education. And you might remember that the MDGs focused primarily on basic education, completion rates of basic education. And one thing that's new to this goal on achieving universal primary and secondary education is a focus on learning outcomes. So this time round, it's not only about completing school, but actually 
completing school and having learned. So that obviously brings up a question of measurement. Like how on earth are they measuring learning outcomes and other the other 10 targets or nine targets across the world? I mean, it seems like such a, a huge endeavor. You know, the answer to that is quite interesting. And um, I remember once somebody saying to me, make sure that you don't adopt any goals that you can't measure. But actually under SDG 4, there are many indicators that, for which we do not have methodologies, that is measures, and some that have methodologies but no data. And among the ones, the, among the indicators that have, um, uh, that, that where there's a target, but no data or methodology, learning outcomes is one. So we've established a goal, and the proxy indicator for that goal, the target for the target, is uh, that children will learn uh, math and literacy in the primary level and the lower secondary level, but we actually don't have an indicator, a global indicator, that can measure that target at the moment, at present. Are, so are, is like the, the Global Partnership for Education, which is where you've been working for the last few years, are they, are they working towards coming up with a, uh, a global metric for the, the math and literacy um, for learning outcomes? The Global Partnership for Education is a multi-stakeholder partnership that provides financing primarily to lower, middle, and low-income countries. And uh, as a partnership, we focus on strengthening education systems. One of the ways in which education systems can be strengthened is around a greater focus on the achievement of learning outcomes. I think all the 65 developing countries in our partnership would agree with that statement. But as a partnership, we don't have a direct role in the delivery of a global learning metric. We are, uh, on the other hand, very keen to support countries to have really good, solid learning assessment systems. So our focus has not been on the metric, but on the assessment systems uh, that uh, will foster better learning. And, and in this sense, it's it, when you're working with these national governments, um, each national government could, in effect, come up with their own assessment system that is me- measuring learning outcomes slightly differently. So instead, so there's no one global universal metric for these learning outcomes. We, I, I mean, I'm, well, I think what's so interesting here is that at the global level, there is now a strong commitment and urge to develop a single set of metrics that are cross-nationally comparable. And there's a pretty mighty debate going on about that. I think we've heard in this series from David Edwards about some of the reasons we might not want to move so quickly on that uh, effort. And we, we will hear at the conference from others who are, have been given the responsibility to come up with that global metric. I, I want to just stand back because I think it's a really important question about how to, how to get the metric. It's not really only about whether or not we should have it, but also what kind of metric is the best type of metric at the global level. At the moment, it's, it's clear from the targets that we need a metric that focuses on literacy and numeracy and at three levels in the education system. 
And that that is the the task at hand for global actors like the UNESCO Institute for Statistics and, and other UN organizations. But there are different ways of ensuring that learning metrics are comparable. And I'm very uh, keen to see learning metrics that are nationally owned and that may be uh, technically robust, but not necessarily entirely similar across venues. And I think from the GPE point of view, the important feature of a global metric is that there's just enough comparability to show trend and to make broad comparisons across countries. I'm, I would suggest that some metrics, some approaches to a global learning metric may be focusing a little too much on uh, empirical purity. And if we look at other areas, this is something that Amber Gove has written about, for example, measuring in the health sector, maternal and child health, under five mortality rates, all of these allow governments to pick their own approach to uh, measuring uh, the outcomes and then draw broad comparisons between the outcomes that countries themselves uh, have, have identified their own measures of. So for example, are children reading in your country? I think that there are some broad technical uh, reasons to think to, to, to follow a kind of robust set of procedures to, to answer that question at the national level, but that countries might want to answer it a little differently. And the important thing is, is the country focusing on children reading? Are they keen to know about the, the trends, the inequalities in reading outcomes in their countries? And I'm just using reading as one example, but I think a very important one. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's interesting, right? Because a lot of times we, this idea of, of statistical purity in these measurements and in, in these, you know, getting this cross-nationally global indicator that we can use. And, you know, it, it's, it's made the focus on data. It's like we just want to get data, but we're not actually thinking about, you know, these assessments are supposed to actually increase learning outcomes or, like you said, increase the, the ability for children to read. And, and those sort of those sort of goals will depend on the the local context it seems like and so having that ability for for national governments to to have their own sort of take on these metrics seems to be like that's the feasibility that that's more feasible than just doing data for data's sake you know the the national ownership, the ability of people on the ground to make use of the data, I think is for our global partnership, for the partnership of countries that belong to GPE, is much more important than the global comparability. There are some reasons that you want global comparability. Uh, one of them is uh, to leverage political will. And so we know that in the health sector, the ability to capture stark statistics about uh, children dying under the age of five or, or maternal and child mortality overall has driven an enormous amount of financing and uh, expertise into the health sector um, internationally and in supporting countries where those statistics are very weak. In education, we simply haven't had the same kind of compelling data. So that's, a, to my mind, that's a very good reason for wanting some measure that is better than our kids in school or not, 
Um, but I wonder myself, and now I'll speak without my international hat on, but more as an academic, I wonder whether we strive for too much uh, granularity in, in that kind of metric in the education sector, um, and perhaps we could make do with something that's a little less perfect, but still capable of playing that political role. So that's one reason you want a global metric, is political will, is an ability to channel, to advocate uh, um, attention towards education. And internationally, I think education has not been a well-funded uh, area for international development. Certainly not well-funded uh, to the degree that health has been well-funded. You have another uh, global reason that you might want a learning metric, and this one is the one that was encapsulated in your podcast with Eric Hanischek. He believes you need to have a global learning metric because it enables uh, governments to compare themselves in a globalized economy and to figure out what kinds of skills will drive success within that economy. And um, I think actually many leaders of government do think that that's important, uh, an important uh, measure to have. But that is an outcome that would not necessarily be in keeping with the driving forces behind the Sustainable Development Goals. So I, I think I think it's interesting to just parse out what the purposes of these global metrics are and then ask ourselves, what do we need to really have a solid metric? Now, one of the things that I think has been so important about the drive towards global metrics, metrics like PISA, for example, has been um, the ability to highlight key, key ways in which the uh, equity of investments in education uh, impact learning outcomes and vice versa. So I think this is a very key piece and I'm not myself convinced that you that only that it can only happen through global metrics but I am convinced that having data about learning outcomes that is uh, correlated with other kinds of social variables helps governments to see that learning outcomes are not equitably distributed and that resources need to be targeted to specific uh, groups and populations. So I think that's a very important important role. Will a global metric allow us to play a role in that type of distributive justice? Um, I don't know, because it seems that the metrics we've had on out-of-school children also closely mapped onto other forms of inequality and in fact knowing that children are out of school hasn't actually driven uh, funding to the poorest countries. So I'm not sure that we'll have that level of impact with our metric but I think I think it I think we should be hopeful about it. Yeah I want to I want to just shift uh, gears to, to actually looking at the global partnership for education since it's working with national governments. And, and I just want to hear a little bit about, you know, how, how are they working with national governments? What are the challenges? What, you know, what, what actually happens, in a sense, quote unquote, on the ground when the GPE is working with national ministries of education to, you know, develop these assessments and try and um, capture measuring learning outcomes and, and trying to reform or provide data to help them reform their education systems? Well, 
GPE has a very particular theory of change and it's interesting, one, one of the things that someone pointed out to me recently was that actually the SDGs are not set up as a theory of change and you have to parse it out to understand how people think specific actions are going to lead to specific outcomes. For GPE, we make an investment at the country level in the implementation of a national education plan and we make an investment in supporting governments to design that plan. And then we also make an investment in mutual accountability. We support civil society, we support a multi-stakeholder policy dialogue table at the country level in the hopes that governments will produce really good evidence-based plans. They'll be costed, they'll be targeted, and they'll focus on learning outcomes and equity. That's our top level uh, objective as a partnership. We want to make sure that we provide reinforcing financing so that the sector plans also include capacity development strategies. Um, they have really strong analysis of some of the key uh, challenges and barriers to achieving equity and inclusion in their education sector, and they have strong policy uh, plans. The um, learning outcomes or metrics that are generally being supported under GPE are quite varied. We don't have, we have not prescribed what governments should spend either their sector planning dollars or their uh, plan, plan implementation grants on. So many countries have adopted uh, early grade learning assessments using GPE funds. Some have uh, uh, improved their national assessments, curriculum-based assessments, at higher levels of their education system. We haven't prescribed it. But we do ask countries, when they receive our funding, to select a learning outcome measure that we will finance on a results-based basis. So we will finance them when they achieve that outcome. So 30% of all of our grants is, is delivered through that results-based uh, tranche. 70% is given up front to support the broader development of their education system around their sector plan. So we're kind of a, an interesting organization in that we are very uh, focused on country ownership. We don't define country ownership as only involving government. We would like to see a policy dialogue table that includes national stakeholders and that is capable of driving alignment across uh, international donors so that they come to the table to support a nationally owned plan. But we don't prescribe what's inside the plan. We have some broad guidance about what would make a good plan. We want to know that governments have paid attention to learning and to equity but we don't prescribe the specific policy solutions because we think it's through that policy dialogue table that those solutions should be debated and discussed, that evidence should be considered, and that, that plans should be developed so that they are truly owned and, of course, then executed on. I'd, I'd like to um, ask about, you said that the governments um, get to create a, a learning metric um, that then they would measure and the measurements would then lead to this results-based financing. 30% of the money GPE 
is they financing. actually it's it's interesting they have to create a target that supports learning outcomes and we actually don't prescribe that these targets have to be at the level of a learning measure so some countries will choose a process related or an output related variable rather than a test related variable can you give an example of some of these different um, types of variables? You know, some countries will invest in uh, assuring that a certain uh, uh, ratio of uh, textbooks are available uh, to children, or they will focus on improving uh, teacher, teacher development, um, teachers' capacity to deliver a curriculum, for example. And that's the target that they will uh, select as their um, the metric against which we deliver our results-based tranche. So we've been quite hands-off in allowing governments to select uh, learning metrics. On the other hand, there's a couple countries that have selected a specific learning metric, and these are typically, um, well, they're quite varied, often in their early grades, and in these cases, um, we aren't delivering the entire 30% of the tranche to just the learning outcome metric, but up a theory of change in the country's plans for improving learning outcomes. So some part of the tranche is delivered when the country introduces the, um, the methodology for measuring learning, and another part might be uh, delivered when the country uh, uh, first conducts the the uh, learning assessment, and another part might uh, be delivered when the country makes that uh, data uh, publicly available. So we're we're quite transparent about uh, the fact that we don't we don't want to prescribe. On the other hand, we are you know content when countries select fairly sophisticated. Uh, theories of change in the delivery of learning outcomes. So you said that there was um, the education sector doesn't receive as much money uh, as, say, the health sector. How how big of a gap are we talking about? You know that now you've asked me a hard question, Will, because I don't have the health versus education data. And I, what I would just say broadly is that. If you uh, tried to, if you looked at a diagram and you said, well, how much of the effort to achieve the EFA goals came from domestic financing and how much came from international financing, you'd find that in the education, uh, the vast majority came from uh, domestic financing and that the level of domestic financing for education went up, went way, way, way up after 2002, especially in low-income countries. For health, the level of international financing went way, way, way up after 2002, and domestic finance was quite slow to follow. It's now catching up, but at first it was not. So, you know, you really saw with, with the creation of the Gavi and the Global Fund, uh, a huge uh, new surge of international investment in health. Um, in education, the growth was much more modest in international financing, but domestic uh, financing grew very, very rapidly, especially after the highly indebted poor countries initiative kicked in. And to return back to the sustainable development goals where we started, so the 
you said that they replaced the Millennium Development Goals, and, and you know, I, the Millennium Development Goals were not necessarily achieved, and that's why the Sustainable Development Goals perhaps needed to, you know, the timing ran out in 2015, and we needed new goals, and now their Sustainable Development Goals will are the target is 2030. Um, do, do you expect that these goals will be achieved, or are they more or less goals that we should be aspiring to regardless of actually getting there? I think that's a great question, and I, it's really important to remember that while not all aspects of the MDGs were achieved, millions and millions of children went into school after 2002 that without that extra level of attention, financing and effort might not have might not have got into school. A very good report from the International Commission on Financing for Education uh, produced uh, its estimate of what it would take for us to achieve SDG4 and in particular uh, the coverage in early childhood education in lower uh, in primary education and lower secondary education. And the numbers were, um, well, mind-boggling, to be frank. <laughs> but I think overall, the attention of the world is is on us today and on education in ways that it perhaps hasn't been even in the MDG era. There is a sense that education's time has come on the international stage, that the Sustainable Development Goals place a much stronger emphasis on education and on a broader range of educational needs that encompasses the need for citizenship education and the need for adult literacy. So I think it's quite exciting. The question is, is it achievable? I can tell you that I think at the primary level and lower secondary level, the goals reaching to 2030 are just barely achievable if we put our uh, all our shoulders into it. Pre-primary education, I'm less confident of, and some of the other goals strike me as being unlikely to be achieved, at least by 2030. The UNESCO GEM report has recently given their estimates, and they place the achievement of full a full cycle of education to the end of secondary school universally. Uh, sometime towards the end of this millennia. So yes, they're very aspirational. I'm myself very pleased to see them more be more comprehensive and to have a wider scope and definition of education baked in, uh, having uh, a focus on training or, or uh, training and skills, but also on have a focus on the need to have uh, global citizenship education. Uh, values related to sustainable development and ecology and so on. I think that's that's a welcome change from the more narrow MDG goals. But it does mean that we've raised the bar um, on some items, raised the bar before we were able to meet the first the first le- the first bar. And I guess as as a last question, I I've asked a few other um, guests on Fresh Ed about Wearing multiple hats. So you you are an academic, but you also are working with GPE. And I I just want to know, how do you balance 
how do you balance that? How do you manage having multiple hats and, and having to, to be an academic but also a development practitioner? Well, I haven't been really wearing my academic hat for two years and one month. Uh, I think one of the nice things about having been an academic is that you enter situations with a truly questioning mind. And I'm a sociologist by training, so I also treat what I'm doing today in the Global Partnership for Education as a kind of sociological uh, ethnography. But it's truly fascinating to see how institutions work when you've been studying them and writing about them over many years. And it's also quite fascinating to to see the things you can get done and to realize some of the things that are so hard to get done. And I just want to emphasize one of those things, which is coordination, which is achieving an international architecture that truly is less fragmented and more effective. Today, the way I see uh, actors interfacing, I sense that whatever gains were made after 2002 in terms of effective aid effectiveness and alignment and harmonization are rapidly being eroded. And it's a great privilege to work in an organization, a partnership that has at, it built, baked into its DNA a focus on aid effectiveness. But it's quite um, disheartening to see how rapidly um, momentum in that direction has eroded. Well, it'll be very interesting to see what happens at this symposium, where a lot of the questions that you raised through this this interview, I think, hopefully, will be discussed and debated at at, in, at greater length. So, I think you've you've really set us up for the beginning of this symposium. So, so thank you so much, Karen Mundy, for joining Freshet, and I look forward to seeing you at the symposium. Thanks, Will. See you in Arizona. Karen Mundy is the chief technical officer at the Global Partnership for Education. She will present some of the ideas discussed in this podcast at the CIS Symposium in Scottsdale, Arizona, which starts on Thursday. I hope you've enjoyed this mini-series and look forward to speaking with many of you in Arizona. Now it's time for me to catch my flight. See you in Scottsdale! Fresh Ed is brought to you by the Globalization and Education Special Interest Group of the Comparative and International Education Society. Fresh Ed contributors include Rolf Straubhar, Eric Lehman, D. Brent Edwards Jr., Chrissy Monahan, and Aaron Baxter. Original music for Fresh Ed was created by Digital Primate. Please note that opinions expressed on Fresh Ed are solely those of the host or the guest interviewed, not CIES or the Globalization and Education SIG, which take no institutional positions. Please be sure to visit us at freshedpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Will Brem, and I'll see you next week.